Welcome everyone to episode 137 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to discuss what constitutes success for Liverpool in the 23-24 season. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Chris, I want to start the podcast today uh, by revisiting a poll I ran on my Twitter account at the end of May. And essentially, I put out a scenario for Liverpool fans. I said, if this was the outcome next season, would you take it if you were offered it right now? So it was fourth place in the Premier League, winning the Europa League, which obviously Liverpool are in for the first time since uh, Klopp's first season, and winning the Carabao Cup, um, which again, Liverpool won a couple of years ago. And surprisingly, um, considering a lot of my po- polls sort of and don't really take off this one. This one got 1,421. Very nice. I know. And um, a few handy retweets in there. <laughs> and the, in fact, before I um, before I put it to you, do you want to guess what the split of yes and no was on that? I'm pretty sure I voted on this. Uh, let's see. Um, I think I think it'll be quite hefty. You know, I'm going to say 70-30 in the Europa League option. Well, it was very obviously the, the Europa League uh, winners option did um, did win, but it was only sixty percent um, as opposed okay. to seventy. Okay. But I mean, still sort of quite a healthy margin. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head exactly how many votes that is out of the one thousand four hundred, but yeah, so sixty forty in favour of that. Um, I actually would have voted no, but before I explain why, um, I'd like to hear your reasoning, Chris, for, for why you think that would be. A successful season. Why you take that if you were offered it right now? So I take it because it means trophies and a route into the Champions League. That's the most simple way that I can put it. Because you look at, for example, the scenes that I know it was the Conference League, but the scenes that West Ham had, for example, and Newcastle are in the Champions League for the first time in the best part of twenty years. There's no such parade over there. Um, there's no, yes, there's a sense of achievement, but there's no mad party or anything like that on the streets and things like that. And you just see what Liverpool can create in the city centre and throughout the city region and the you know, best part of three, three quarters of a million people. And just, as I've said, the, the sense of achievement overall. And even when it was the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup and... So many people packed the streets as well, over over half a million. I'd take the I'd take that option because, you know, to to be honest with you, you know, I know you said so. You say fourth and the Europa League, fourth the Europa League and the Carabao Cup as well. To, to be honest with you, and this might sound controversial for a lot of people, sixth in the Europa League, even kind of thing, and that I, I know I know that wouldn't I know that wouldn't feel good in the league phase kind of thing. But ultimately you're talking about the 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 treasure of the Champions League being attainable one way or another. And I know finishing outside because I think fifth next year can get you into the Champions League depending on coefficients. Yeah. Um so I know it kind of lends it all to one big final in Dublin. Hmm. But I know we'd all rather have Champions League kind of signed, sealed and delivered by then. Yeah. But one way or another, the way the most simple way that I can constitute success for Liverpool next season 
is finishing in the champion is getting into the Champions League, whether that means winning a trophy or whether that means finishing in the in the top four or five. See, it's interesting that you say that because um, I just think it's sort of it shows a little bit of a of a change in mentality as a result of not qualifying for the the Champions League. You know, is that going to be what most Liverpool fans say is you know the main is the main priority next season to get? I don't want to. I don't want to finish sixth, by the way. Of course, yeah, of course. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, like you say, that would be a, a very um, difficult league season to endure. I mean, we finished fifth last season and we know how sort yeah. of tough yeah. that was. Um, but I just think, you know, years gone by, it's sort of like it's always about the league title. But mm-hmm. do you have to have maybe that humility when you drop out of there to sort of accept that, okay, this season, the main goal is to get back into the top four. I think that's what Klopp will, will probably say um, in the sort of... I mean, he says it every year to a degree, and that's the first goal, but maybe that is sort of the the main goal this year as opposed to, to winning the league. Well, you look at Sal's tweet at the end of the season as well and how gutted he was just merely at the fact of missing out on the Champions League. So I think that in itself creates the motivation next season that one way or another getting back into the Champions League is the priority, I think. Whatever comes with that comes with it, but I I think getting into the Champions League has to be the priority. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think we'll maybe see this summer as well a kind of illustration of just how valuable it is in in terms of obviously the the financial side of things. So um, the reason I said no to that, I mean, I can't vote to my own poll, but the reason I would have said no (laughs) um, to that is... Because I, I think that, and this was, like I say, at the end of May, so a couple of weeks have passed now. Um, I think that with a perfect transfer window, Liverpool can compete for the title. And my main goal between now and 2026, which could be the end of Jürgen Klopp's tenure, is to just win one more Premier League and be able to, to celebrate it properly. I mean, I, obviously... You know, I think there's a little bit of a score to settle Champions League-wise. It'd be a shame if Klopp left, having only won one out of three finals. Um, but the main thing I think I want from from his tenure to, to make it feel truly complete is is that sort of proper Premier League celebration. Um, so I'm kind of looking at it through that lens. But I also don't think it's sort of that unrealistic that Liverpool can get back to that level. Um, like I say, with the right transfers. But where would you sort of land on that, Chris? Because, you know, obviously Liverpool are a long way back. Maybe I am being a little bit naive to think that they can bridge that sort of, that huge gap to the top. I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently as well. Um, I thought it was a very promising start to the window with McAllister coming in. Um, I would have liked, I'm not going to pretend I'm a, I'm a Kefren Turam expert, but I would have liked him through the door by now. You can understand he's playing hard to get because he's their he's their prized asset. So why wouldn't they play hard to get? Um, but I would have liked him in by now. Uh, certainly ahead of the under twenty one euros, I would have yeah. liked him in. Um, I I just look at City, and I don't want to I don't want to make this all about Manchester City, but they are the team that you have to look to, aren't, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I just look at the effort it would go to go replacing them 
or to, to, to go competing with them, for example. Yeah. If, if Kovacic looks all but in, so he'd, he'd replace the Okai Gundogan role, you'd feel. I think Gundogan is better at the goal-scoring side of things and more impactful in that kind of area. But Kovacic is, of course, a wonderful player in his own right. If they get Gvardiol, then I don't really know. <laughs> I don't, you know. If they get Gvardiol, that could be there. That that could be another three or four in a row, really. In terms of just having that solid core of the best defensive assets, most of the young best defensive assets in, around. Because I'm, obviously I'm putting Canate up there as one of the best young centre backs around, and I, I truly believe that. I think we all do. But you know the way that if they get Gavardiol, it just it kind of drains the rest of the it drains the rest of the opposition. Yeah. Um, because of as well as the fee that it would take to get a player of Josko Guardiola's quality. Um, and I look at Liverpool and I just think about bridging that gap because, of course, we're, we're talking about um, Mickey van der Ven as well. And he's a bit of an unknown quantity. A lot of people seem to like him. Um, rapid from that viral clip that we've all seen against Union Berlin, clearing it off the line. Um, but again, untapped quality as opposed to Josko Guardiola who we've already seen have a fantastic World Cup. And there's no shame in getting absolutely ruined by Lionel Messi, by the way. That's happened to much better players like Vardial, much more experienced players like Vardial. So if we talk about the bridge to to gap, I think there isn't such a a bridge in terms of Newcastle and and Manchester United. Liverpool in another world could easily have finished above them both this season. Arsenal... In, in the head-to-head games, Liverpool showed again. In in certain aspects, they're better than Arsenal. Yeah, but Arsenal just had the most consistent. Arsenal had the more consistent season. And I'm not going to mm. sit here and say Liverpool should have finished above Arsenal because it was far too big a bigger gap to be able to say that. But in the head-to-head stakes, clearly the quality was there from Liverpool to be able to beat Arsenal. And mm. over the quality of over the course of a season, it would not surprise me next season Liverpool finished above Arsenal again. Although. Yeah. Declan Rice maybe would have a say in that. Um, but I suppose that's where we're coming out with the transfers, isn't it? Yeah. Because it feels like after such a kind of strong start, I think we're kind of feeling... Do you think it's right in saying it feels like yet again our hands are tied behind our backs a little bit? Well, I mean, I, I take your point that there has been a, a bit of a lull since McAllister came through the door, but I also think we've got to sort of cut Liverpool a bit of slack in the sense that, you know, the transfer window only opened on officially on Wednesday. I mean, how, how many, how, how many clubs have sort of, you know, in an ideal world, you do get everyone through the door before the start of pre-season. Obviously, this under twenty-one euros is a factor too, um, in terms of causing delays. But you know, how many clubs have been able to get sort of two, you know, top talents through the door already? I mean, most most clubs. Have, might have sort of done one deal. A lot of clubs haven't done anything. Um, I want to come on to the, the transfer targets in a bit more depth mm-hmm. in a second. Um, it's interesting you made the point about about Man City because I had it sort of noted down here about how they raised the bar basically in terms of what Liverpool need to do this summer because the example I think back to is um, you know when Chelsea won the league in fourteen fifteen under uh, was that Mourinho that season yeah yeah and then yeah. the year after. I think they finished 10th or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And then Conte comes in and they win the league again with something like 93 points. And I'm like, 
there is a, a precedence in the Premier League for sort of quite massive turnarounds, huge point swings. But I suppose that kind of um, that era is, is slightly different to this one in the sense that Man City on there, you know, probably at this point, I would say kind of the greatest sort of Premier League team, really, that, that this Man City side, given what they've achieved. And we know that they've got kind of a level of resources that, that separates them too. Um, so it is basically perfection that's required, not just on the pitch, but also in the transfer market. So I think that's a huge point with this. And yeah, I also had new rivals noted down because, like you say, Arsenal are in there. Newcastle are in there as well. I mean, there's talk about Newcastle getting in Nicolo Barella, which would be one of the biggest sort of statement signings, I think, in Premier League history, to be honest. And obviously Man United too. And again, like you say, not sort of... I don't think they were hugely convincing last season, but obviously they were better than Liverpool and they probably will um, sort of spend quite a bit of money, depending on what happens. Obviously, you know, how much the takeover situation of Brexit, I don't know. But obviously there's it's not just kind of City that we have to worry about too. It's whether we can kind of climb above those teams who are hugely ambitious in their own right as well. You mentioned the perfection side of things. If you think back to the first game of last season and the draw against Fulham, how did you feel after that? Because if we talk about perfection, it kind of felt straight away. There was like two points lost kind of thing, even though Liverpool didn't actually have the lead at any point. It still felt like points dropped. And that, that, that's what City have done mentally. Because even when they had that, even when Arsenal had an eight-point lead last year, I think most of the bookies still had City as favourites because they knew if yeah. Arsenal slipped once, City would be on their tails. And it, I think when you look back at it, Arsenal just kind of, I don't think they could cope with almost the idea of City in a way, in the sense that they knew yeah. City, based on precedent, were going to go on an insane win and run to end the season where they just sort of, they, they just find this extra level that Arsenal don't have or certainly don't have yet. Um, and I think, I don't know how many games they won in a row. Um Seven, at least no, ten was it? I think. I think it was probably double figures because of yeah. yeah. the end of the season they obviously had a uh, a couple of draws to end the season, but um, before that, yeah, they just kind of turned on turned on the afterburners really, and uh, and Arsenal just couldn't keep up with them. So I I think you know Liverpool don't just need in previous years Liverpool would have needed to get back to sort of a high eighties point standard probably to win the title. Maybe a little yeah. bit less sometimes. But, you know, you look at Man City at the moment and you, you think it's probably going to take at least mid-90s almost to to win the title. So it is a huge ask. Um, I want to touch on the, the transfer targets a little bit more. But before that, if you're enjoying this episode, please do um, give us a positive review. You can give us a five-star rating on Spotify. I'd be very grateful for that. And also a five-star review on Apple Podcasts would mean a lot to us as well. And you can also subscribe to the podcast so it appears in your feed. Well, we also upload onto YouTube. So if you're enjoying it on there, please do like the video, leave a comment, subscribe to the channel, etc. But yeah, onto the transfer targets then. Um, I read sort of a five-man shortlist uh, this week um, from various sources, really. And that's, so it seems to be the noises that, that that's coming out of the club. Um, and it consists of Toran, we've already mentioned, uh, Manu Kone from Gladbach, Lavier from Southampton, Ryan Gravenberch from Bayern, and Gabri Vega from Celta Vigo. So 
if I'm not mistaken, four of those players um, are at the under 21 euros, um, which start next week. Um, and I think the exception is Lavia, who um, didn't make the Belgium senior squad, but then weirdly didn't get into the under 21 squad. As far as I know, I might be wrong on that. But anyway, so at least four out of five um, at the under 21 euros. You look at McAllister and you think that's sort of a win now player based on the levels he's at. You know, he's a World Cup winner, etc. But those other players potentially, Chris, point to a longer term route to the top. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Because the planning now, it has to be, it has to be for the future. It has to look ahead. Um, because I suppose it, this was one of the points that I was thinking about just before we came on as well, where you look at the age of the midfield and I, I think, I think, I think we're going to, I suppose I'm, I'm actually saved this thought just because we will come on to the age as, as uh, I, I think we're planning to, but the, you need to look at the free, you need to look at the future and those players, if they come in or whichever ones come in, if possible, you, you would be looking at, you wouldn't just be looking at a one year and then see what happens. You'd be hoping that they have kind of a mainstay for five, six, you know, maybe even plus that. Uh, slight concern in that I feel Latvia is the only number six involved in that discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, Taram seems like an eight, as does Kone. Gravenberg definitely seems more of an eight. And Vega, to be honest with you, it seems more of a 10 at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, don't particularly play with um, play with a 10. So that is interesting. Uh, and Lavia, he impressed, I think, a lot, apart from maybe the final day when he gifted Jota the opener at, at, at St. Mary's. But um, he, he did impress a lot, so much as though that he went to Southampton and then... I think late on in last summer's transfer window, Chelsea then submitted a bid to try and buy him within the same mm. transfer window, um, which was just a bit crazy. I thought I, I did a double take when I'd seen that. But yeah, the, the lack of a number six in, in the discussions is concerning me somewhat. Yeah. But still, we need to acknowledge you know, the, 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 need for, the need for midfielders. Um, need, I mean, need for a right back. I, mm. I, I've said this on a previous podcast, but again, I know it was Malta, but trying to examine Ronald ran the show last night, and I would be, I would be doubtful of whether I would want to go into the season with having Canate or any other centre back playing that hybrid role, because I I would feel much more secure having an actual right back. With Trent yeah. Alexander Arnold, because I think I think he, ugh, the more he plays it, the more he realizes it. But he knows he can play that role. He knows he can play that right side at number eight. And I, I would like to see some right backs mentioned. I know Pavard was, and it was quickly dismissed. But someone to be able to play a right as a right back, whether that's Connor Bradley, who knows? You know, he had a very good season at Bolton. It's a big step up. Yeah. But I would just feel a lot more secure, and I'd feel Liverpool would be a lot less open with a right back. And again, you talk about trying Xander Rall potentially saving Liverpool a lot of money in that role. You can't forget about Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott either. But yeah, I'd say at least more one, at least one more midfielder. And it does feel like Turan is the highest priority on that list at the moment. Yeah, I think I definitely agree on the 
on the right back points. I guess both layers out in terms of Liverpool needing one. And also, I think Trent is increasingly looking like sort of a, a £100 million midfielder in his own right, which is um, something that we can probably get into entirely in a separate podcast. But I just think um, you look at the players and it's it's not almost their profile in a way, in, in the sense of position. It's more like kind of just where they're at in their careers. I, I wouldn't look at them necessarily say, I mean, there's some some players there you, you'd argue are among the best, if not all of them, among the best kind of midfield talent in Europe. But they do feel like they're at that talent stage rather than kind of really yeah. sort of like established. Not established, stars. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and they yeah. need um and they need that time basically to uh to get up to that level, I think. And it probably would be a sort of slow process in that way. You don't look at them as, as maybe being players and some people say this is harsh, perhaps who who could sort of equip Liverpool to challenge Manchester City next season. And it's I think it's a little bit of a a come down in a way because obviously there was so much talk of Bellingham who's just gone to Real Madrid. You know, he would have been probably a transformative player. And it just feels like the the calibre of targets has and again, no disrespect to these players at all. I'd be delighted to see a few of them sign. But it just feels like it's sort of gone down a couple of notches. You know, you had Bellingham and then you had maybe the tier below with Barella and and um you, you I mean you could even put Barella on the on the Bellingham tier. But then even like a player like Mason Mount, for example, he looks like he's going to go to Manchester United instead. He's sort of, you know, really sort of established himself as that, you know, Premier League proven Champions League winner. And and these players are, you know, quite a bit further back in their development than him. So that to me does say sort of we're trying to build kind of the next great Liverpool team, but we're not necessarily thinking that that team's going to, compete for the biggest prizes next season. Maybe it's a little bit further down the line than that. But you alluded to it there, Chris. One area where fans might think that doesn't really add up is the age profile of the squad. Because it would feel a little bit like there were two timelines running at the same time. In light of the fact that Allison's 30, Van Dijk's 31, Robertson's 29, Fabinho's 29, um, Salah's 31, Thiago's 32. I mean, these were all players who were crucial in the season where Liverpool nearly won the quadruple. And then you've got to factor in the contract of Jürgen Klopp as well, which ends in 2026. So this is potentially the third to last season under him. Does it feel like if Liverpool look at this season and say, right, we're going to go for the Europa League, we're going to go for the Cups, but we'll just take top four in the league. We're not going to, I mean, obviously they're not going to write off their title chances, but if they basically say this isn't a season where we're, looking at it as a, as a big title opportunity. Does that feel like it would be a mistake in terms of almost almost wasting a year in a way? Hmm. I don't see it as that. Just because I'm being realistic on it. And I even look, you know, you look at the bookies, some of the bookies of City, two to one on already to win the title. Liverpool's second favourites alongside Arsenal. But I think, again, maybe it's a superiority complex. I'm, I'm not sure, or an inferiority complex, whichever one you, whichever one you look at it. They are just that good. I think I'd rather, I, I'd rather see Liverpool 100% in the Champions League next season, than, you know, 
maybe burn out or something trying to compete with City week in, week out just because their squad depth, they've shown it by winning the treble, is just just incredible. And even towards, so they won the title with three games to go. So if Arsenal had still been needing, if Arsenal had still been on City's tails, they wouldn't have rotated in those final three games. But they knew they'd won the title, so they'd rotate in the final three games. And that's that that's just the way that they're able they're able to do it. Because you see with you see with Liverpool, City go right to the end when, when they need to win the title and they just put the afterburners on from about March, March to May. Um some of the ages I mean you mentioned there, Allison thirty, I think goalkeeper I don't think a match for yeah. goalkeepers, I think they can go on for a lot longer than that. Uh Van Dyke, you're talking to maybe 33-34 in terms of centre halves. Robertson, not even sure what kind of role he's going to play next season. That's yeah. something that that's that's part of the reason why I want to right back to be able to see Robertson still play 100%. in his flying left back role. It's interesting you mentioned Thiago there because he was a player that I was going to mention. And I was talking about this with some friends the other day. Maybe it's because of the injuries he's had this season. And I know he's out of contract at the end of next summer. He's the main player in that list that if you just don't feel, I, I, personally, I don't feel as attached to, mm. just because even though he's undoubtedly world-class, it's seeing him on the pitch. Mm. And he, you know, when, when he played against United in the 4-0 at Anfield when I was there in 2022, that was one of the best midfield displays I've ever seen in my life. He was just yeah. amazing that day. But I'd rather have someone, even if it's a little bit younger, maybe a little bit less quality, but you know, still good enough to play for Liverpool. I'd rather that than someone who's world class but isn't fit from one week to the next. Yeah, and I, I do think he is quite. I do think he is likely to leave next summer, barring a turnaround in, in his fitness. Um, and you see, we see Henderson. There's reports now that he's going to drop into the Milner role, which I think he's probably going to accept. Maybe reluctantly somewhat, but I think he will still accept that. And ultimately now, it, it, it's a midfield that needs legs. Because I lost count of the amount of times we spoke to each other last year that we just said midfield's too easy to run through. Where yeah. Liverpool will play on the edge of someone's 18-yard box for five minutes, one misplaced pass, and the opposition are on the edge of Liverpool's penalty area within five seconds. And yeah. that's just got to stop. And that, that the midfield rejuvenation is part of that. Yeah, I think... The one thing I will say is the upturn we will see just based on kind of addressing the glaring weaknesses in the midfield. And yeah, I don't think the bar is that high in that sense, um, will be quite significant. And I think um, Liverpool should. I mean, Jürgen Klopp is a proven overachiever. I think last year he kind of ran out of um, of tricks in that sense, but um, I, I do think that if, he, if he's equipped with um, a complete squad, then it, it'll have Liverpool. Um, certainly competing for, for second place at, at the very least and I, I suppose just to bring it back before we finish to, I mean the original point in terms of whether we'd accept that scenario one thing I wanted to say at the time was you know football is about winning trophies I suppose and you know watching West Ham watching Man City watching you know other teams in other leagues celebrate those kind of honours you do sort of realise that that those are the moments that it's all about. So I completely understand why people would be like, if we can sort of get those couple of trophies and get back in the Champions League, that would be a successful season, much as it maybe wouldn't kind of scratch that Premier League itch that we still have. But anyway, we will leave it there uh, for this one. Um, remember that you can email us 
um, with any thoughts or questions about the podcast, then that's redzonerestrictedpodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, we will be back next week with another episode. But for myself and Chris, it's goodbye and take care.